episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 41. In this episode, we catch up with Scott Farrand. He's got a 67 C10 that he's uh, doing an interesting build on. So have a listen to this episode. It's, uh, it's a really cool build. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of what he's doing and, and look forward to seeing how it goes on the road. I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Uh, obviously, hopefully everyone didn't drink too much and got some parts for their cars and their trucks and managed to spend a bit of time working on their vehicles. That's that's what I've been doing. I've actually you know, got my floor cut out and starting to make some progress on the cab. I, I feel like I was a bit stunted for a while, but I uh, got a bit of motivation and a bit of spare time, so that's been really good fun. But also, just before we go to the interview, I, I wanted to just chat about a project I've got that I'm working on at the moment. So. Down here, I'm in Victoria, obviously, uh, but not far from Albury Wodonga, which is on the border. And and I I really want to put together a, a truck specific show, like a big truck show. And uh, I know a lot of guys are in Queensland and Sydney and that sort of thing. And I mean, there's only so much I can do. But I'm I'm down here, and we've got a lot of people in Victoria and South Australia. So we have the Bright Rod Run, which is uh, it's normally the first weekend after cup day in november and on the same weekend uh there's also another rod run not far away in lake mile uh it's the lake mile rod run so what i'm proposing to do is the thursday before both of those events in wodonga which is quite central to them both uh i'm going to put on a big truck show and it's uh now whether it's a truck show or a pickup show or a ute show we can work out what we want to call it uh i haven't exactly narrowed down exactly what year model vehicles and all that sort of stuff we'll get to it all but what i'm really hoping to do is just get a bit of feedback from you guys out there listening the guys that have got vehicles uh what you'd want to do and what you'd want to uh have incorporated i I don't know of anything like this in australia yet i think it's you know i went to america obviously and i went to a couple of i went to the big dino's get down over there which was i mean that's a chevy only show but uh, I know that this year they had a lot of Fords there as well, and obviously we're open to all brands. So it'll be the plan at the moment is it'll be on the fourth of November, twenty twenty one. It'll be in Wodonga, uh, Wodonga and Aubrey are border towns. If you're not familiar with the area, big population, lots of accommodation, lots of restaurants, lots of bars. Uh, the plan at the present moment is so just outside of Wodonga, a little area called Barnawatha. The Wodonga TAFE have a, a campus called the Logic Campus, which is just a fantastic facility. They they teach a lot of stuff there. And part of that is they've got Motorsports Training Australia. So they teach young people all there is to know about uh, working on sports cars, suspension, engines, all that sort of stuff. So they've got 
You got a full workshop. Uh, they do engine work, suspension. Really cool facility. I've been in there, had a look through it. And they also have a 1.6 kilometer, 11 meter wide driver testing track. So this is uh, up to all the specs of a driver training course. Uh, you know, you've got plenty of plenty of area to run off the track and not damage your vehicle and, and a really cool facility. And they hire that out. So what I'm proposing to do is from 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. on that Thursday the 4th, anybody that wants to come along and put their vehicle on the track, uh, it'll be, I think, about $25, $30 ahead uh, to get on there. You'll get plenty of chances to rip around. There's no speed limits. Um, you can do whatever you like. We can't have official timing there because then it would be a proper race. But they're happy for us to have, you know, a whole bunch of stopwatches. So if you and your mate want to say who who can get their trucks around the track the fastest, you just someone's got the stopwatch and you do some laps. So uh, there's room for. I think they generally can run three vehicles on the track. They just set them off at uh, intervals, so we can get through quite a few people. Uh, so that'll be really fun, and, and we'll have a barbecue out there, um, some food vendors, and you'll be able to have a meal. And, you know, if you've put an LS in your truck or if you've got a stock truck or you've done some suspension and you've never really had the chance to legally give it a good thrashing, this is your chance. So that's what we're going to do 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. As 3 p.m. comes, uh, we'll, we'll shut that down and we'll move back into Wodonga. And right in the heart of the city of Wodonga, they've, they've just done this huge upgrade to what used to be the old railway station. Uh, there's a big restaurant bar there, big junction precinct. And they have this great area under lights and we're going to line all the vehicles up there and just have a big, uh, you know, big show and shine, just park all the pickups and trucks or whatever we want to call them. Um, there's room in there for about 80 vehicles uh, in the main area. And then there's an overflow car park, which we can utilize. Uh, hopefully in future years, uh, you know, it'd be great if we got big enough that we didn't fit. But I think for this first year, we'll see how we go. But what I really want from you guys, from my listeners is, I guess a hands up of support and just say to me, yep, I, I'd make the effort to come down to a truck specific show and bring my vehicle down there. Uh, there'll be a lot more details as I get going with it all, um, some sponsorship and stuff like that. But the plan is it'll be a free entry for you to bring your vehicle to the show and shine. If you want to put it on the track, you're going to have to pay a little bit just for insurance and all that sort of stuff. But if you want to just come and park your truck, uh, maybe you're on the way to the bright rod run anyway, come and spend a day with, all like-minded uh, pickups and, and trucks people and and check it all out. So, yeah, please, uh, you know, this is the one call out where I really want you to take take action. Send me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. Facebook message me or Instagram message me. I'd really love to hear from you and just some support to say, look, if you put all the effort in and run this show, we're going to come down and support it. I think it'd be a really cool thing. And if you're in the industry, if you're, you know, if you've got a, if you supply parts or anything like that, and you'd be interested in setting up a bit of a stall at the show and shine, I'd uh, be very interested in talking to you. We, we obviously have to pay for all the venue and public liability insurance and all that sort of stuff. So I'm hoping to get a little bit of uh, venue um, market space that people can come down and, and have some gear there for everyone to look at. And that'll help to cover the cost. And ideally, it's just a free event. Anyone, all the all the people around Wodonga, Aubrey can come and check out our vehicles and, and have a really good time. So that's that's what I've got in the works. I've got, you know, what I've got now, 11 months to get it all happening. 
And I just think it's something that's missing here in Australia and I really want to be uh, involved in, in making it happen. So reach out, touch base to me. If, uh, you know, firstly, if you think you're keen to come, just give me, a, give me a heads up. That'd be really good to know. And anyone that's in the industry and wants to be involved, um, you know, part of sponsorship or just having a stall, let me know. Anyway, that's enough um, chatting about that, but I think it, I think it'll be a fantastic thing. So, yes, yeah, Scott, uh, 67C10. Uh, Instagram is at Operation Seabomb. So check that out if you want while you're having a listen. But basically, uh, he's putting all the running gear, suspension, engine, tranny, everything out of a VESS Commodore going into a 67C10 short bed. So really cool build. Uh, we had a great chat. I think we could have spoke for about another two hours if I'd kept going. Uh, really easy to talk to. So uh, sit down, uh, pour yourself a cold beer. Don't do that if you're driving. But uh, enjoy this episode. And, uh, yeah, and we're going to have a build a catch-up next week. So we'll chat to a few of the guys that we've uh, interviewed in the past that are, that are still building their trucks and, and just make sure that they're still ticking along and, and getting things finished. And, uh, yeah, look forward to that. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Scott, thanks for coming and joining us on the podcast, mate. Appreciate your time. Uh, first question we throw at everyone is, you know, basically what what were your early influences that, you know, as a kid you remember the first time you saw a car or, or you know, someone who influenced you, whether it was a dad or an uncle or a friend, you know, what what sort of originally got you into the sickness that we call the uh, the hobby? Yeah, it is a, it is a um, bit of a sickness hobby. <laughs> it's an expensive one. Um, so growing up, I guess like everyone else that's young, you just really love cars. And my um, my dad was working in Sydney, and there was a panel shop across the road from him. And I was like, you know, I reckon I could work in a panel shop. So my dad g'd up with this guy, and I went down and started my apprenticeship. And um, it was a, a German bloke, and he um, yeah, he was pretty full on to work for, but they had like a heap of like older cars that we just restored, like concourse cars, like old Mercs and Beamers and Porsches and all that sort of stuff. So that sort of like led me into the European sort of scene. And there was a an Austrian guy called Matthias there and he had been racing Beamers and stuff his whole life. And that sort of got me into Beamers when I was younger. And um, yeah, I had my, my first car I built, I suppose, was an E30, uh, was an E30 323 four-door sedan thing. Cut the guards off it and widened them and turbocharged it and re-sprayed it like, three times and rebuilt it probably like four times that was it was pretty cool actually hey that car that car's been around a lot i had it for ages and then it sort of got too unreliable and i was driving sort of hour sort of from work to home and i sort of ended up just getting parked up because i couldn't really want to i couldn't trust it i suppose because it was sort of a bit too modified on a budget and um yeah that car is in queensland now some guys been racing it for years and i'm friends with him on facebook and he's winning like hill climb championships and stuff now so which is pretty cool to see it's something that you built 20 years ago still circulating yeah that's that's a good thing was it was it like more custom restoration stuff than smash repairs at, at that shop nah it was so it was a 50 50 split so we always sort of had like one resto on the go and because I started there when I was 15 and I left there when I was 24 or something, they just sort of got left to me once I got the skills, I suppose. I could just sort of like, oh, yeah, there's three months, go and restore. One of the best ones I did was like a Ferrari Dino. It was schmick. Hey? I had to build this framework to set it up on a jig. 
because old mate wanted it all like high gloss underneath as well as on top. So and it had been raced, so all the bottom of the oval chassis bits were all like dented up, and I had to slide hammer it all out, and it took like it took a long time, but. Yeah, it was pretty fun. So then you sort of have one resto on the go and then smash repairs in between jobs and stuff. Yeah. But we didn't have any tools, which looking back at it now, my mates have got heaps better workshops than what I did when I started working with. That's that's a good way to get the fundamentals though, isn't it? Like, you know, you know, I can I can go down to um, you know, the hardware store and order some metal master, you know, shrinkers and stretches and a, a, all all the tools that you want to get power hammers and everything like that but you know a hammer and a dolly and a welder you can just about do everything anyway mate you can build dreams with a welder that's what, i love my mig welder my dad and i bought that oh, i don't know it's a general electric or a general lincoln general electric or something and we bought that for like 1200 bucks we went out together and went let's get the most expensive run that'll run on 24 volt and man i've done everything with it it's 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 awesome but yeah man Working in a panel shop with stuff all tools definitely helps you. And I sort of every a lot of guys there just a lot of customers just sort of wanted stuff back to standard, you know, like old Mercs with heaps of chrome and stuff everywhere. And I was just hanging for people to, you know, cut their cars up and make them cool and something a bit different. <laughs> we had one guy that came in with a mini, and I managed to convince him to rip all the bars off it and you know fill all the holes up and where the panels join. I said we should weld all that up and all this and. And it, it looked schmick. He sort of ran out of funds eventually. I'll probably blame myself for that. But it looked schmick when it left, eh? It was all like smoothed right off. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, should, I want to do something like that. And I think it was around the same time that I was building my, my um, yeah, E30 Beamer. Yeah, doing doing a bit of customizing the fun thing. Do you watch that full custom garage that, that's on? I don't. Seven I've, I've probably seen a couple of them, but yeah, not not religiously sit down yeah. or whatever. I've got a couple of yeah. young kids. Um, at the six and eight, Lexi and Sarah, they tend to take up my time when I'm not when I'm not working. <laughs> yeah, you know? but yeah. yeah, well, he he does he does a heap of really wild stuff that um, would never be on the road here, and um, I would say probably fairly questionable um, fabrication at times. But <laughs> you know, he's he's the first he's the first guy to chop something or just completely rip it apart and. He had this really nice Patina 54 Chevy pickup on one of the recent episodes I watched. And it was, you know, Patina perfect and this old guy had it. And and the minute he wheeled it in, I just went, oh, no, don't. Please don't <laughs> wreck it, you know. And he was like, oh, you know, we need to chop it and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, don't no. do it. But he did, he did like a, I think it was a inch and a half at the back and a, maybe even half an inch at the front. He just, he did this really mild chop that was like a rake chop mm-hmm. and it looked, it looked spot on. It was such a great job. Like he, he actually did a really good job and he bought um, just one of those, uh, it wasn't Art Morrison, who was it? Um, TCI, total cost involved chassis where you, where it's like total finished chassis. They're about 12 grand or something. But yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a cool build. But um, yeah, and but I can imagine, you know, like if you're into all that, you're sitting in the panel shop and you're like, oh, let's just do something a little bit more than just a stock restoration because that would get old real quick. Yeah, it does. Well, that's the reason why I left the trade, eh? Because I've been doing it for 10 years and 15, like you're just a boy then. And you're sort of like, I got to like 24 and I'm like itching to do something different. And then I sort of, yeah, I, one of my mates was working in mining and I was like, yeah, I want to do that because I could see sort of, 
how much money he was earning basically, I suppose, you know, so I'm like, let's go do that. So moved up to the Hunter Valley from the Central Coast. I don't know if you listen, there's no way. But yeah, so I was working in Sydney, living in the Central Coast and then um, mining took me to the Hunter Valley. So fortunately, I'd saved my money and I'd bought a house up there um, when I was like 20. So it was like five years later, we moved into it and um, started a career in mining after that. And that sort of led me away from from working on cars too much and i just sort of got into house renos after that and started like yeah sort of building building house bits and pieces i love building like i think i love building in general to be honest whether it's cars or house or or anything just making things like on the house we're in now for instance i made my own front door a big steel front door made out of rhs and it's all painted high gloss and it's one of those pivot doors it's 300 mil off center pivot but the door itself is yep. like one one point seven meters wide, floor to ceiling, with big glass panel in it. So even just making that, I was profiting on, you know, making things, and mostly because people say, "Oh, that's a pretty big door." <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's going to work, man. I'm like, yeah, fuck, I'll show you, man. It'll work. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and sure enough, it's been swinging perfect ever since. Which is, it's been there for three years now, and it works as good as the day I made it. Yeah. No, it's fine doing that. I, I'm a chippy by trade originally, so I was a I was built houses for years and then got out of that game and now I'm doing steel. But yeah, in our place we've got an island bench, uh, with a big stainless steel top, and I welded up a whole new frame and I've got those swing away stools that sit underneath it and all that sort of shit. So you know, it. I'd hate to know what it weighs. I'm amazed that my floor holds it up. But, <laughs> but yeah, we you know in there. Yeah, no, no, I didn't. I fabricated it in my workshop and. Um, yeah, and we had to. Yeah, you know, I, I was smart enough to measure the house before I built the table to make sure I could get it in there. I just but, had uh, this mental image yeah. of you and the missus trying to go out a forklift through the kitchen or something. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not out of the realms of what I would do, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> that's um, funny. No, that's cool. So, so the Beamer was that your first ever car on the road? No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. On the road for sure. So. Um, my mum was driving around in a little 1974 L bug when I was on my L's and I, um, yeah, saved my pennies and, um, yeah, bought that off them before I had my L's. I must've been like 14 or something at the time. I don't know how that worked. I oh, know it could have been 15 cause I would have started my apprenticeship. Yeah. Bought it off them and I thought I was going to change the world with this busted ass old V-dub, took it all apart and had big dreams and then sold it in bits because it had cracked valve stem seals. I'm like, I don't want to invest, you know, two grand and rebuilding the engine. I just want to build cool stuff. And I sort of like sold it. And I think the next car I had after that was a VL Commodore. Yeah, that was my, um, that was the first car I drove around. I re-sprayed it. It looked pretty good. Eh? It was all nice and straight and tidy, but it was just a six cylinder, nothing special. Probably worth a bit of money now, come to think about it. Yeah, they're getting harder and harder to get. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I went VL and then I had a couple of um, yeah, I had a couple of Beamers. I had a um, is it S12 Silvia? Like a, my father-in-law, he imported this um, Silvia Gazelle sort of front end. So in Japan, they had like the C18 DT front cut sort of thing. He put in that in a what we call a Gazelle here, and I had that for a while. That was pretty cool. I had like an SR20 turbo on it, and just used to thrash around on that. Used to drive up the old Pacific Highway until the exhaust manifold was glowing red. Thought I was pretty cool, <laughs> but yeah, no, that was pretty good. And then um, from there, I got into four-wheel drive. So I had a um, I had a Toyota 4Runner that was running like big mud tires on it, and 
um, had the front end all cut out with leaf springs and it had a set. I don't know why I put them in there, but it had like a big set of fiberglass bucket race seats in it. <laughs> you know, so it was a pain in the ass to get in and out. I couldn't park it anywhere. The thing had more, you know, heaps of body roll. It wasn't real fun to drive, but I had that for ages. Yeah, it's it's uh, modified four wheel driving is another sickness. It's another total sickness from the one that we're talking about, I suppose. But yeah, we um, the mate of mine, mate of mine had a, a really nicely set up patrol, and we went and did a bunch of comp stuff. And um, yeah, once once you can start modifying a four wheel drive and making it up shit that it's not meant to, it, it gets it gets addictive, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the car that I have been building now for like the last ten years is a GQ Patrol. And it was the three-liter petrol, and so we put a um, RB25 DET in that, and that was like straight bolt in because I run the same gearbox, and so I put that in, and that was pretty cool. And then you know you want to go bigger, so I ended up putting a I got an LS1 in that. A friend of mine helped me with the wiring, and that was all pretty straightforward sort of swap. But it's four-inch lift, it's been resprayed, uh, front and rear airlockers, eighty-six percent like reduction gears, but it's all engineered. So it's cool, like for what, 30, I think it's 1990 model. So it's like 30 years old now. And I've like, every time I've found something better for it, I've put it in. So like the dash and anything better than, so it's, it's, it's clean. It's a clean old car for something that's 30 years old. And it, it's good now. It goes, it goes anywhere. It's a good rig. Is it, do you say it was a GQ or a GU? Yeah, GQ. The old square GQ, shape. Yeah. yeah, the old square shape, mm. man. But it's, it's like, yeah, I've made all the bar work front and rear for it. And that's probably the car that I've modified the most separate to the Chev for sure. Like front and rear bars and rock sliders and you know, everything has been modified on it or stripped apart. At one point we used to ride, well, not me, I'm not good enough, but my mates used to, my old house had like a roof that was sort of sloped and sloped down. So I'd park my truck under it and the boys would get on their mountain bikes and ride off the roof onto the roof of the patrol. And then we had like a table set off the back of that and then they'd, jump down onto the table and roll off the back of it. So when I finally cared about it and decided to respray it and I had to replace the beam, like the, the ribs inside the roof, pull the hood lining down because all the ribs had pushed down and the Sikaflex had all broken. So I had to replace all of those. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah, it was good times. No, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, a, they're, they're still such a popular four-wheel drive. I mean, you, you know, you're talking, they're coiled all around, aren't they? Yep. They handle well. Like, yeah, because I... I drive a 75 series Land Cruiser and it's leaf springs and I've got sort of semi heavy duty springs in it. And like, it goes anywhere. We take it off road a lot, but it's, unless you take half the air out of the tires, she's a pretty rough ride. Yeah. They don't get much flex in the back of those. They're a sexy looking truck. <laughs> They're a sexy looking truck, those cruisers. A mate of mine we go four bin with, he had a GU, um, like a, a bit of work done to it. Nothing too crazy. I think 35s and maybe a front locker and, he wanted to do more touring and I was like, the cruise is the go for touring, but if you want to do like more forward driving where you're going to need flex, maybe stick with the patrol. And But yeah, now he's got a cruiser like yours, twin locks, 35s in it. Yeah, it's it's a horny looking truck, Like, but it's a lot of money too. Yeah. See, that's the thing. So over the 10 years I've had the patrol, I reckon I've invested probably, I don't know, it'd be 60 grand maybe, which seems like a lot of money, but you go and buy a new truck for, 55 you're not going to get many accessories to get the 60 and and at the end of it not many people own their 55 grand trucks brand new you know like i bought that car for like two and a half grand and that's been an investment over 
over ages and it's a hobby building trucks and cars is a hobby so you're sort of having fun while you're doing it and that that's that's what gets me off i suppose yeah and a build like that as long as you're not planning to sell it you're not going to lose any money on it because you, it's something you get you're going to use no that's it well i've had it for 10 years now i reckon and um yeah i might get 25 maybe if i'm lucky something that's engineered like that they're pretty hard to come by but yeah you don't do it for money like it's not what it's about I'm not one of those guys that goes to the pub every night or anything like that, you know, hanging out with the boys, pissing up against the wall or whatever. Rather, um, yeah, stick to my hobbies and build shit, to be honest. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's talk about this 67. So it's a long bed C10. How, how did you come about that or probably even more interesting, what, what made you want to find one? Was that something you went searching for or did it just fall in your lap? Nah, so funny story i suppose uh watching um ken block's f truck smashing around i was like that's really cool like i thought that was like the sexiest truck i'd seen with the big pump guards and i'm like i want something like that that's that's like that's the tits right there and um and i just you know you just start looking on the internet at whatever trucks f trucks and chev trucks and um there was one square body getting around um Cessnock near where I live and I was like, that's pretty cool. Maybe I should get something like that and just cruise around the streets and I thought that'd be pretty cool. The missus and I we can you know, if the if the kids are at the mother in laws we can just kick back and cruise away for the weekend or something, just something to get around with. And then um this one came up on Facebook, the Chev truck that I have, and I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool, I should buy something like that. And I just started a new job. I work field service with Komatsu. And so I've been doing that job for a little bit. And my last job that I left, they paid me out. I had been working there for 10 years. And so I had like, I don't know, 13 grand or whatever. And I was like, babe, I want to go. Said to the missus, you know, I want to go and um, build another truck and have a hobby. And she's like, right, I do whatever you want. You know, that's cool. Awesome, missus. If you have missus like that, you should keep her because that's mad. So, So this truck came up and it was I was picking it up on like a Tuesday and working in mining for those of you that do you do night shifts and I had never done night shift before so Friday Saturday Sunday Monday night were my first row of night shifts ever and I was due to pick the car up on Tuesday so that's 6 p.m till 6 a.m didn't sleep because I can't sleep during the day never worked at it or anything I get home at like six o'clock Tuesday morning have like a 45 minute power nap and get up and I'm like sort of brains fried, <laughs> jump in the truck, put the, the car trailer on the back, drive to the Central Coast, pick my best mate up, and um, we just head down the freeway to Mittagong to pick up this truck. And I'm like cruising along thinking I'm going pretty good. I'm like, you know what, I want to go get a coffee. So I pull into the server at Pen Hills Road, completely forgot the trailer was on the back, <laughs> took out two concrete posts. <laughs> and my buddy, oh, yeah, my brain couldn't deal with it. I'll just chuck the keys at my mate. I'm like, bro, you take this, man. I'm going to go get some coffee. I can't deal with that right now. And um, picked up the coffees and we were we were down in Mittagong picking up the car, you know, a couple of hours later. So, yeah, that was the, that's the pickup story. It's pretty funny. I didn't realize how wide those C10s are, eh? Like, it literally was scrubbing the tires on the inside of the trailer. It barely fitted. I don't even think that, that it was that big. That this, if it was another 10 mil, it would have started to climb up the side of the ramp. Like, they're a big truck. Yeah. Yeah, compared to the early, like, you know, my my Chevrolet 1950 model, like, if you get 
a 3100 or you know like the Aussie 1420s they're they're a whole hell of a lot narrower than um than sort of once you get into 60s models but yeah and was was that a was that just like a stock truck was it a kind of farm fresh stock truck or what was the history on that how did that come to Australia so um when I looked at the truck when I first bought it like that night when I finally made it home we're going through you know sitting in there drinking beers and eating pizza and stuff and I'm like scratching around the seats trying to find I don't know maybe like if a drug deal went wrong in the state somewhere there might have been bulk cash or something <laughs> behind the seats and I found a um a defect notice from California in like May 18 or June or I can't remember what month it was in 2018 I'm like oh no way that must have been the death of this thing in the states and when I finally um like when I was talking to the guy I bought it off he said yeah it was imported and and this guy bought it and was going to do stuff with it and, and he didn't and then he advertised it and and um, so this guy went down to pick it up under the belief that it was sweet, you know, she was going to drive back from Melbourne. I feel sorry for him because it was like it wasn't right. <laughs> like it, the, the bottom of the sills were all rusted out. The um, tail shaft center joint was flogged out. There's no way it would have driven nine hours from one side of the country to the other sort of thing. So, yeah, he sort of just cut his losses and advertised it and I was sort of the lucky bloke to come along and pick it up pretty cheap. So, that was, um, yeah, that was the, my truck from then on. So, when you got it, you got it sitting in your, in your driveway or in your shed or something like that and you've got a, a about four million ideas running through your head of what you're <laughs> going to do with it. What, 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 was, what was the first plan and, <laughs> and take us through... And take us through how that's probably changed to what you, and then we'll talk about what you're doing now. But what what were you originally thinking about doing with it? So originally I was thinking, oh, I'll just get it home and get it on the road and, you know, just cruise around in my little, my ignorant brain thinking I was going to have this thing set in 20 minutes. And um, then upon closer inspection, I realized that, look, the cab's rooted. The floor's pretty badly rusted. Like it's fixable, but... I'm not just going to dodge it up. It's the cab, you know. It's the main structure of the, you know, the car. It's not like a guard that you can just bodge it up and rip it off later. It's a mission. So I thought, well, that's pretty serious. I've got to take the cab off. So then I was thinking, well, I don't really want a long bed. I didn't realize how much longer the long bed was. I thought, well, well shit, I want a short bed. So I'm thinking, well, I better take the back off if I'm going to do that. So I might as well cut the chassis down. So then it sort of straight away went from like just a quick, quick bloody patch up to something far more serious. So I was sitting around, I was thinking about, um, yeah, what um, what engines I was going to put in it. I was, as I mentioned to you before, we were on air, I was thinking a 6BT or an LS would be the go and um, I was researching everything and it seemed like the LS was the go and I got hold of a guy in Tamworth who was advertising his LS2 facade and it had come out of a wrecked um, VE or something from somewhere. I seen it there, I'm like, sweet, that's pretty cheap. And... Um, rang the guy up and I ended up having like a half an hour conversation with this guy and he was a really nice old guy, yeah, pretty retired and, and he's building a um, like a Salt Lake racer in a VSU and he wanted the six liter for that and so once we got off the phone, I was pumped. I put the trailer on the back. I'm like, sweet, this, this chef's got a new heart ready for it. I set my alarm for like four o'clock in the morning and drove up to Tamworth and I was there at like 7.30. The poor fellow hadn't even eaten his breakfast yet. <laughs> But I didn't want to stuff him around. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he goes, I'm glad you came up, mate, because after I got off the phone to you, I had about 20 messages on my phone and everyone was offering me money for it because 
it was four and a half grand for LS2 with the um, T56 six speed with wiring harness and all the accessories. And I mean, like the power steering pumps was damaged and a couple of the idlers and stuff, but four and a half grand for that is pretty cheap. Um, so I was like pretty quick to grab it up. So that was the first evolution of the truck. Instead of me thinking I was going to cruise around in a little, I don't even know what they are, like a four liter six cylinder or something, I'm assuming. It wasn't much of a donkey in it, but so then, yeah, so I had the engine there and I was still thinking and I ended up having a, um, ended up having to be in hospital for three nights because I had to get this lump cut out of my throat. Pretty shitty experience. I don't recommend it, but I ended up sitting in hospital doing <laughs> nothing and I'm like one of those guys that's like always busy. So in the middle of house renos and work and, and kids and stuff. And so to just sit there and do nothing for a long time, I was like just building in my head what I could do. And um, the thought of running like late model running gear in the Chev, I was like, yeah, I reckon I could probably do that. And I was thinking about how I could do it. And um, yeah, so I guess the idea sort of stemmed from that, being able to use late model suspension components in a new truck would be a really good thing. And when you compare it to like to suspension systems that you can buy from like TCI or any of those companies, great products, but they're really expensive, especially if you want to go and buy, say, you go and buy a front end for like 10 grand, that's a lot of money and it still doesn't match what you got at the back. So you got to try and work out what you're doing there. Then you got to match your, your wheels to it and it, it just all explodes. You've got different bolt patterns and offsets and all these sorts of things that you got to think about. You've sort of got to outlay a shitload of cash to, to make that system work. And for me, I was like, oh, I don't really want to spend that much money. <laughs> to be honest, I'd already, I'd already forked out the budget that I'd got for my previous job. I had a truck and I had the heart for it. And then that was about the way my budget ran out. So then, yeah, things sort of stemmed from there. And what happened was, so I was um, chilling out and I seen a, a mate of mine who I worked with, Dave, he's building a, um, like an E30 with an LS2 in it as well with a nine inch in the back. And he wanted an L98 for his E30. And where he found was on like one of those auctions and found it from a VE SSV, but it was club sports spec or GTS spec that had like the big brakes and stuff on it. And he shared it on a post of ours, like a little Komatsu group chat thing. And I seen the car and I'm like, that's pretty cool. Look at the size of the brakes on it. It's got 15 inch front rotors, 14 inch rear, twin piston AP racing brakes. You know, VEs, they're a good handling car. I thought that'd be pretty cool. So I messaged him and he had sort of bought it, got excited and it got delivered to his house and he realized, I've got nowhere to store this thing. I've got, I've got to take the engine. He only wanted the engine and gearbox, you know, like he goes, I can't just leave it on my front lawn. It doesn't really work. He only had a small lawn. And so we came up with a mutual agreement. I was slung him some cash and we pretty much shipped it straight to my house. And um, I got everything on the V Commodore except the engine and gearbox for like two grand. And he was stoked because he didn't have to deal with it. I was stoked because it was cheap. And that sort of like, it was a light bulb moment for me when I saw that car. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to use everything from that in my Chev. And for the money, that's pretty hard to beat. I sold like $1,000 worth of parts off it. So for 1000 bucks, I've got myself independent rear suspension, monster brakes, a sweet front end, a solid diff for like 1000 That's I thought that's that's the tits right there. I'll roll with that. Mm, that's Yeah, that's cool. It's it's funny because I um, in Glen Rowland, uh, which is – where Ned Kelly's from, I suppose a lot of people yeah. would know who know who Ned Kelly was. But um, that's a little town 
that I grew up in as a kid. And I go through there a little time to visit my parents. And there's a guy there in Glen Rowan who, uh, a guy named Renee, who's just a, an absolute legend. But he's he's a hot rod truck builder. Um, you know, he's got constantly got, you know, years and years worth of clients lined up to build build cool old pickups. And he's building a 56 Chevy himself. And uh, and I rolled in there one day and I was just chatting about stuff. And, and I, was, I was thinking similar lines, like how can I use something that's fairly new? And then he showed me some photos of a mate of his who was putting exactly what you're talking about. So it was an independent rear, independent front out of a Commodore into a Chev chassis and it was all getting engineered and everything like that. And I was just like, wow, that's just an awesome idea. I mean, every part you need, you can just go to your local rep car and get it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so he sent me some photos of it. And it's always been in the back of my mind. And then I don't even know how I got on you. I think you just popped up on my Instagram feed one day and I started going through your build and I was like, oh my God, he's doing exactly what I had in my head. And I was like, this is awesome. So so quick question and and we can edit this out if we have to, but yeah. is this are you running this along lines with an engineer? How, what's the plan with it? Are you gonna engineer it or have you got it regoed and you're gonna do a bit of a shunky deal? What what's the plan that way? Nah, so everything with this is engineered. So we'll we'll be engineered. Yeah. Um, the patrol that I did up with the LS and all that, um, I got that all engineered and went through the right, I don't know, channels. Uh, there's a guy in Tamworth, uh, Signature Engineering. There's a there's a f- four brothers up there that run a shop that do everything from like you know engineering scissor lifts for all different companies to, to automotive stuff, and they were super helpful with my patrol. And when I bought the Chev and I sort of realised what I was going to do, I rang him up and said, look, this is what I want to do. And he was trying to convince me to do a Jag front end. And I'm like, man, it's, it's going to look shit. It's like old technology that the wheel track is not wide enough. Just because everyone else does it doesn't mean it's going to suit what I want to do. Like, why would, you, why, would you not, why would you not go something newer just because no one else has done it? And, and he's like, yeah, oh, look, I remember the work that you'd done on the patrol. It was all real good. I think the hardest battle that I've had so far is trying to convince people that you're not shit. <laughs> what, do you know what I mean? Like, because I think automotive guys, they deal with a lot of people that must come in and just ruffle feathers and just talk smack and not really have a go at doing it and, and then not going about it the right way and doing shit work and, and working with them that way. So I told him what I wanted to do and, and, and drew pictures and, and emailed photos of the entire build and so far everything he's been stoked with is I told him how I wanted to run that independent rear end and he had emailed me through some photos of another late model IRS that that one of his customers had put in and I'm like all right sweet well there's some RHS there there's some eight mil plate here I just sort of roughly followed that sort of design because I knew he'd engineered it before and you just the thing that comes back to with engineer is as long as it's um of structural equivalency is what he keeps telling me. So if you make it stronger than what it was before, you're not going to have any dramas and you don't go crazy with it. So, so that's sort of, yeah. That's yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you're just going to shit yourself the whole time when you're driving around, just waiting for someone to pull you over. My mate, my best mate, Maddie, he's got a, um, we had a Datsun, um, Dato Ute, 1200 Ute and it was all engineered and stuff, but that was, it'd been modified since then. And so the poor fellow would be cruising around just, Watching his mirrors, you know, just waiting for a cop to pull him over, you know. And I don't want to be like that. I want to, if they pull me over, I want to be able to sit down and chat with my, you know, just be like, yeah, man, I've done this. Yeah, man, I've done that. What do you reckon, you know? And 
and be sweet with it. So yeah, no, absolutely. And also, you know, like I don't want to sound scare tactics and bullshit, but you know, if if you happen to end up in an accident and someone gets injured, and the lawyers come at you, you know, you you need that engineering certificate or or your insurance isn't paying out and TAC isn't paying out and you know they they're worst case scenarios but they happen every day and you know you've got to be you got to I think you got to I'm a big proponent for engineering and I'm glad to hear that um that that's the route you're taking so I I know looking through your Instagram feed um you've actually had to narrow that IFS so what what is the um the the wheel track of that C10 Back from the factory, and what's the wheel track of the of the? Uh, it's a VESS, you said, isn't it? Yeah, VESSV or whatever. Yeah. So the wheel track of the Chev was wider than the VE. So um, it didn't really matter too much in the back because you can just change it with offset rims. Um, it, it's not really a huge problem to get the wheel track that you want. In the front, it's where the problem lies. So. I got the back done. So to get the back end right, I had the Commodore sitting there up on bricks and I created like a zero line on the bottom of the Commodore, which was basically just the bottom of the chassis rails. And all my measurements that I took for the subframe while it was in the Commodore was off that zero line. And then I replicated that onto the Chev. So the bottom of the chassis rails on the Chev was zero line measured from particular points in the bottom of those rails, like holes or whatever and then got the subframe in the back sitting in exactly the same spot relevant to what the zero line was in the Commodore. And so that took me a bit of stuff around, had to cut the rear chassis rails off and all that. Finally got it sitting where it was supposed to be and then just made the chassis rails for the back end for it. So that was sweet. The rear end, it took me probably 60 hours, I reckon, six full days to have the whole independent system rolling around on the, on the ground. I was pumped, eh? I was high-fiving myself. There was bum slaps and high-fives for days after that. I thought I'd created something that no one else had ever done. (laughs) Until you see what people build on YouTube and you're like, I'm just a backyarder. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but So the problem was once I had the the back done, the front was where the issue was. So I put the front end, I did the same thing as I did on the back on the front. Got my zero lines, worked out exactly where the subframe was supposed to sit. And I made a jig that bolted to my engine mounts and then sort of rose up and then went straight out to the strut tops. So that retained my strut tops in exactly the same position from factory. So when I put the subframe in the Commodore, in the Chev, sorry, I bolted the jig onto it, bolted the struts in, and then had the whole assembly together, dropped it on the ground. And I was like, wow, this Chev is a lot wider than the Commodore. And for my build, you know, you see a lot of those guys rolling around in their chevs and, and drop them on the ground and they look mixed slammed, but then sort of like the wheels sort of sit right in and sort of up, tuck up inside the guards. For me, I really wanted to keep them out as wide as I can and just make it as low and as wide as possible. And then I'm going to cut the wheel arch around and bring the center of that wheel arch up to curve around the wheel sort of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but then it can be as wide as possible and as low as possible. So. To get that width, I had to cut my subframe in the middle, straight down through the two main ridges, north, south, and then widened it and eventually worked out that 70 mil wider than factory was the was the sweet number. So I got another I got another subframe and 
internally braced the box work of the subframe with some RHS and welded the top and bottom skins over the bit that was missing and, and finally got it sitting exactly where it should be. And I had a front end that was wide enough and, and I could run some big rims on it. I got 20 by 9.5 inch rims and running two seven fives on the front, which is normally what you run on the back. With the Commodore, I've managed to squeeze them in the front pretty easily and I reckon I could probably run two nine fives on the front and that will be level level as with the, the lip of the guard. It should be, um, yeah, it should be, yeah, okay. I'm pretty excited to see it all done. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's funny, I, I have... I have that independent front end sitting out here in my yard that came out of a um, crewman ute, a V8 crewman. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that as a, we were going to potentially actually put it into a, an international pickup truck. Sure. And for that build, we actually had to narrow it. So it was, it was the opposite of what you're talking about. But the, I think the only thing that really affects changing the width at all is just the sway bar really, isn't it? You just, so you'll have to have extended your sway bar. Yep. So and that's the, about it. No, no. The, the biggest drama is um, your sway bar. That's easy. So you can't fit it in and out anymore. You have to make it in two-piece because there's a chassis rail above the subframe. So you can't slide it in and out as easily. So um, I got onto a guy in um, through a, a friend of mine, um, Doug, at Drive Industries, and he was awesome. So super helpful in in guiding me as to what to do and um he mentioned about yeah the sway bar mate you want to make sure that we can we can change that we can make it two piece so i can slide together you can link it up but the real problem with it with widening the subframe was the steering rack so one of a family friend of ours who's been racing cars his whole life now he's retired he's like 66 and he helped build race cars for other people and he messaged me with and said man what are you going to do on the front? You know, how are you going to run it? And I told him that I'm widening the subframe. He's like, what are you going to do about your steering? And I'm like, oh, I'll just get longer tie rods on the end. And he's like, mate, if I can, you can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? Apparently, the pivot point where your steering rack travels horizontally compared to where your tie rod goes, that spot is really important. So that what happens is if you turn right, for instance, your suspension on the left-hand side compresses and that pivot point is crucial to prevent bump steer. So if it's too far in or out or whatever, when that suspension compresses, it'll pull your wheel in and out. And as it loads up, it'll want to steer left or steer right. So he emailed me this 57-page document about how to set up a NASCAR, <laughs> more or less. And, <laughs> and I was like, I got like, I got like a, you know, a few pages in and I'm like, well, Sweet, yeah, that makes heaps of sense. And I got onto a steering rack guy in, in Melbourne and I told him about what I was doing. I said, mate, I've added 70 mil to the middle, you know, and, and this is what I want to do. And he's like, yeah, you can't just extend your tie rods. I'm like, oh, I know, bump steer, crazy, hey? And acted like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> acted like I was a seasoned yeah. pro at it. But yeah, he pretty much machined new ends onto my um, steering rack. So you've got to have, I think it's three points of locking on any suspension and steering component to make it like engineerable so you you, you twist these on um, tighten them then there's a, a lock nut and you do up two grub screws as well so that's your three lock ways of locking these ends on and then it's everything's factory you use your factory tie rods and all that sort of stuff and your steering is as it was from the factory so that was the biggest issue i faced so far but this guy 
So when I rang this guy, Doug, about what I was doing, I told him I wanted the thing to be as low as I can, as wide as I can, and I told him how I jigged up the strut tops and all that. And, and mate, good on him for taking the time to talk to me because he must have thought I was losing my shit. But he, he's like, well, if you want it low, don't just keep chopping your springs. Don't get lowered springs. Why don't you raise your strut tops 30 mil? That'll drop your car down 30 mil and keep your compression the same. Because too many guys come in here and they lower their cars 100 mil on the ground and think it's going to handle well and, and gave me the full spiel. I'm like, that's a genius idea. So I remade my jig, added 30 mil, that pump strut tops up an extra 30 mil, which dropped the car. And um, then I was like, what am I going to do at the back? I've put the whole independent rear suspension in and it's sort of at the factory ride height. So I thought about it and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut the trailing arms at the bottom. And lower where those where my struts go in the trailing arms. So I dropped them down 30 mil, re-welded them, strengthened them right up, They're stronger than they were before, and then that dropped the back down an extra 30 mil. So now I've got a pretty low riding truck using factory suspension for the most part. So it should handle really well. No, mm. yeah, no, definitely. Well, it's it's going to drive like a VE Commodore, isn't it? Yeah, it should be good. It's got uh, I think it came with super super low springs in it. Um, and I'll probably, yeah, I might upgrade the rear sway bar and having a low center of gravity. And, and actually, the wheelbase is pretty similar. I, I put the tail shaft in it the other day and, and it like bolts into the back of the engine and the, and the, because they're compressible. It's like a two piece with like a center bearing that moves. So you just slide it in there and it punches into the diff and punches into the gearbox. And I was like, oh, that'll do. Sweet. So that it should handle really well. And so to make it a short bed, did you cut down your old bed or have you sourced the short bed? So it's funny, you know, building trucks like this, you meet heaps of people hey, that are all doing the same sort of thing. When I ripped the front end out, I put it on, um, I don't even know, Chev page or somewhere. And, um, yeah, a guy who I know now, James, he um, he messaged me and he's like, yeah, man, I need, he's doing up a show C10, right? And he's like, yeah, man, I need some parts off that suite. And he drove he drove up to grab him and um, yeah, got talking with him and he's like, Oh man, I've got some bits at home. If you, if you need anything. And I'm like, you don't have a short bed, do you? And I'm like, you know, just pissing in the wind really. And he's like, yeah, I've got a short bed and I've got a spare cab and heaps of panels and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, my mind was blown. I'm like, what do you mean? You're like, what are the chances of someone else having a short bed and heaps of body panels and stuff? And basically what had happened, he, um, He's a cluey guy, James. Hey, he's he's building this. It's got an LSA in it. It's I don't know what year model. It might be a '69 or something. But they got the big back window, and he ordered all these panels for it, and sort of got like a little way into it, and it sort of it was it was too much of a job. I don't think he had done like that sort of work before. The work that he had done was was schmick, but I think the job just blew out for him. And at that point, he's like, oh, you know what? Stuff it. I'll just buy a complete new cab from the states, and um. And he did, he ordered it and it turned up and it came with new doors and all these bits and pieces. So when I went down there to pick it up, to pick the, the bedsides up, I saw the cab sitting there and I'm like, yeah, that's Schmick because the 67 has a small back window, whereas his one that he had was like the bigger back window. And my only gripe with those 67s is how poxy the back window was. So I'm like, that's awesome, you know. So we loaded up the... I did a little service with the deal was I'll do a little service on his skid steer and help out with some things and slim a bit of cash. And um, yeah, we loaded up all these parts and I had like new doors, 
uh, fuel tank, all these other bits and pieces, the cab, the short bed sides, guards, and, and loaded up and, and ended up staying there the night and his mum cooked us up a awesome meal. <laughs> and it was like, it was a really good weekend away, huh, to be honest. <laughs> his mum was stoked because, oh, she's like, now I've got more room in the shed. He was pumped because he was only going to bin it anyway because he got all the new bits. So, and now I'm, I'm like good mates with him. I message all the time. And even today he was, I was telling him about this interview with you and said, oh, he's like, oh, that's super cool. Hey, I'm doing this. And what are you up to? Blah, blah, blah. So building trucks, building anything, it really, it's the people you meet along the way that makes the experience fun. Like I never would have met that guy and got a friendship from it. Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's half the reason I do this podcast, you know, like you just, it, it's like there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of guys in Australia who are tucked away in their shed on the weekend, working away on something. And, you know, obviously social media is great because, you know, you post a bit on Facebook and you see a little snapshot of what people are doing. But when you, you know, what we're doing right now, you're talking to hundreds and hundreds of people for an hour about what you're doing with your build. And that's really cool. And like someone else will pick up something that you've done and gone, oh, I can use that as an idea for my build. And it's sharing information. And, you know, I think a lot of the car guys and, you know, maybe a bit of the old school car guys, it was like there was a secret society and there were certain things you didn't tell people. And it was like, you've worked it out and you don't want to share it. And and I'm just, I'm all for anything I know that I can help someone else with that they don't have to make the same mistakes I've made. I'm happy to share them, you know. And, and I think it's cool just talking to all these different people and some guys want to do, you know, if you've got a Ford, everything has to be Ford or if you've got a Chev, it's got to be Chev. And then, and then you'll get guys who'll put an LS in a Ford, you know. So it's, it's such a, a huge difference of people. And, you know, at the end of the day, everyone just wants to mob around in a cool truck, you know, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to that podcast you did um, the other week with, is it Matt, I think? And um, I messaged him after I heard you and him chatting and I was like, man, that F truck sounds schmick. You're putting a 13B in it. I love rotors, you know, like, and I love trucks. That's perfect. Like, and so um, he was like, oh, thanks heaps for yeah. your words. And so everyone's got different things that they want to do. Um, one of my good mates, he's got a uh, like a V-dub with a rotary in it, 12A. And he's saving up some cash to in, to to get it injected. And my, my best mate's looking for a RX four at the moment. He wants to wants to get that going. And and so yeah, everyone's got their ideas. And there's no there's no right or wrong way of doing it. You just do whatever you want. Some people have messaged me on Facebook with because you know you've got like Chev builds or whatever on Facebook. And I put the picture up. And some guys are like, oh, why would you make it right hand drive? I'm like, man, have you seen the rest of the truck? Like, you kidding? <laughs> You're worried about right hand drive. What about that? I've only got like a meter of chassis rails left on it. <laughs> and you want to worry about being purist. It's, it's all fun. Like everyone's got their different things. You'd be pretty boring place if we all drive around on them, on them standard. And those F trucks are schmick. I probably would have, um, I don't know. I would have, I'm not a diehard Chev guy by any means. I just, that seemed to be the truck that turned up at the time. And um, yeah, it could have been an F truck with a Barra in it. If, if that had it turned up, that would have been just as cool. As barrels make plenty of horsepower with a late model suspension setup, that would have been just as good. So, mm. are, you, are you planning to kind of do a bit of track racing or anything in this, or is it just going to be literally a weekend cruiser and, and just something different? Well, I've never really, I don't at all consider myself to be a fast driver or anything like that. I did a couple of track days in the E30, and that was about the extent of it. I've never really done donuts on the street. <laughs> I'm pretty keen to give it a crack. So for this one, I would like to, I would like to, to get it 
I really want it to look sort of like that pro touring sort of look. I'm hanging for it that you know with the big brakes and I want I've got the um, fiberglass race seats in it and I'm going to run a um, like a rear hoop inside the cab with the bars coming out at 45 that'll pop out through the cab the steel above the window and so I want it to sort of have that racy edge but I think yeah I'm not really going out to lay down track times or anything like that. It'd need a better driver than me. I'm more about cruising <laughs> and and just yeah. chill. Actually, when I do the the bed in the back of it. I'm going to put the fuel tank right up against the headboard and that'll poke through the, the bed floor a bit and should look pretty sporty and whatever. But at the back, I'm going to have it like a lift up uh, back with a box underneath the bed floor and that'll give me like storage so the missus and I can just chuck bags in there and just go for a cruise and, you know, just just have some husband-wife time do what we want to do, do Scotty and Cat stuff for a weekend and go somewhere that we never would have normally been. So that's the plan. Even if it is uncomfortable, even if it is uncomfortable as balls with fiberglass race seats, <laughs> but it'll be air conditioned, so that'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was over in the states last November, and I went to um, a big, a big car show called uh, Good Guys in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they had uh, an autocross set up. So. You've what? Do you know what autocross is? You watch yeah, that stuff. Is it just um, like a big car park with witches hats on it, and they just cruise around? Is that what that is? Yeah, kind of. Like this, this one was actually set up with like those concrete barriers, like you have on the highways when they're doing roadworks. So the whole track's set out, and it's basically just a timed course. And it was all Trans Ams and Camaros, and um, you know all those sort of things. And guys had spent they spent a lot of money on these cars, you know, making them go really nice. And there was a guy, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but there's a guy and he was in a, yeah, he was in a, you know, a genuine AC Cobra and the commentator just kept saying over and over, like, this guy is in a million dollar vehicle, like genuine million dollar vehicle. And he was just drifting this thing around concrete barriers, like an inch from the barrier. And just, <laughs> he ended up winning, he ended up winning the whole thing. Like he just killed it. It was such a weapon, but I feel like your truck, once it's built with all that Commodore gear in it, it would be a really good autocross vehicle. Like just that nice low fat stance and, and good LS power and decent set of fat tires. Because I think autocross isn't a huge thing in Australia, but I, I'm sure it's coming. Like it'd, it'd be a really fun thing because, you know, like I look at drifting and stuff like that. It'd be super fun, but there's no way I could afford to get into that sport. You know, you'd, you'd need to be sponsored by Dunlop or Michelin <laughs> or whatever. They go through it. They go through a set of tyres every 10 minutes. But, yeah, just something that's a, a nice time course track. It would be a fun thing to get into. Yeah, man, that would be – that would be really good, hey, and I'd be super keen to do it. I, I'm putting a lot of effort into getting it handling right. So the chassis rails on those C10s, as you know, they're like a channel. And so I've boxed all those up. And instead of having the, um, the cab, like, rubber-mounted, I'm solid-mounting it. And then my strut tops will integrate through the firewall and then there'll be pipe work that runs down through the cab out of the ingress and egress of your doors, but it'll run down along your kick panels and through the bottom of the car, like extra bar work and stuff. So it should handle really good. It'll be a bit heavier, it'll be, well, a little bit, it'll be probably a couple hundred kilos heavier than it was before, but it should handle awesome being like one solid structure. You can twist, twist those ladder chassis like heaps. And when you get that height, in your strength, you, your torsional twist just disappears and it allows your suspension to work 
really good. So I'm hoping that it, it should handle sweet and horsepower is no drama. I think factory it's about 400. So my plan, if the budget and the wife allows it, probably do a bit of a cam package and, you know, you can pull up, I don't know, 320 kilowatts at the wheels or something with a with a little bit of work, head work and cam package. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, no, awesome. And so independent front end, independent rear end, um, engine transmission obviously out of a different commodore but same setup mm-hmm. what what else is going in there like are you putting the commodore pedal box in there uh steering column what what else are you because it, it's obviously going to be a lot easier for you to mate up with your with your accelerator pedal and everything like that if you use the commodore gear is that what you're doing yeah so i cut the guts out of the firewall and welded in a three mil flat firewall um, three mil is good because it's really thick and it gives you like a lot of strength in it and my struts will there's a strut brace that will triangulate into that firewall um, so give it a bit more um, strength that way my pedal box for uh, brake accelerator and clutch um, accelerator isn't a problem just use a factory VE one clutch isn't a problem just use a factory VE but the brake is the problem because the firewall and the chev is so much different in shape. It it sits a lot closer to the back of the strut on the right hand side. So I don't know what I'm going to do there. To be honest, I don't think I've got a huge amount of room. I'm looking at remote brake boosters and different sorts of things. And and it's sort of like I rang up a couple of brake guys and sort of got to the point now where I'm like, let's just put the cab on and I'll I'll worry about that problem when i get to it because i don't know my exact distances that i need between the firewall and the um between the firewall and the the strut so we'll we'll wing it and see how that goes at the moment she's open for discussion (laughs) so but yeah the clutch and everything worked fine it's just the shape in your footwell that's been a problem and and so the other thing we're doing is i'm running the factory ve steering column Uh, my engineer wanted that because it's collapsible even though i've had to compress it up a fair bit to suit the the shape of the firewall um i've had to modify the panel that the steering column bolts to like you you pull a car apart you dash apart in a commodore for instance and there's pretty much for the lack of a better word just a piece of pipe maybe an inch and three quarter diameter that runs from one side of the car to the other and it's got brackets welded to it and your steering column assembly bolts to that so i've had to cut that all out of the ve and then modify that to suit my car and so at the moment She's, it's it's mounted, it's welded in like that That panel is welded in to retain the factory steering column. Um, so we're getting there, man, to be honest. It's getting closer. It will look a bit shit because it'll have the Commodore steering wheel, but I want to try and pursue an ADR-approved aftermarket steering wheel so it doesn't look so poxy in there. But, yeah, I think it'll be good because I'm going to run one of those um, digital dashes. I don't know what brand I'm going to go with yet, but they seem to be the go too because you've got to try and get all these gauges that read all your stuff but they don't have them in the in the chev from like 1967 like i don't even know if you get a clock you know <laughs> you don't get much information from it so i'm thinking one of those digital dashes would be yeah. really good and i believe they just plug straight into your obd2 plug and they read everything that you could possibly yeah know. yeah they've got that all sorted dakota digital out of the states like they've They've got an LS package, like it'll just bam, 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 it'll be a piece of piss. That would be good, but so, my steering column's in the way because of where it sits. It's a lot higher in the 
in through my instrument cluster. So it's it's going to be in the way I'm going to have to modify it a little bit. But it sits pretty good because those C10s, you don't have much leg room in them. They're pretty like squashed up. I've seen from a couple of builds on YouTube that some of the taller guys really struggle. So with the fiberglass race seats that I've got from Velo, they're Velo, they're like an ADR approved fixed back race seat that you can have on the road. They've got like a really thin wall at the back, so that gives you a lot more leg room. So I've, I've used those, got the factory um, steering column and everything in it, and I've sort of been able to get plenty of leg room and the steering will not be too far away or too close. And it's adjustable too. You clip the bottom little flappy levery thing over and you can pull it towards you or lift it up, whatever you want to do. So it should be, um, yeah, it should be really comfortable to drive, which is, that's, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. How tall are you? Uh, 182 on a hot day centimeters what, what's that in the old scale six six something i suppose maybe six two i guess yeah, yeah. don't hold me to that tall enough i'm a tallish guy so when yeah. i was driving it originally because yeah. yeah. it was driving and i got it home and it wasn't really super comfortable to, to drive you were a bit squashed up in the legs whereas this one now i've got a heap more leg room so it's pretty good yeah, I have the same issue. I'm, I'm six four, so I'm tall, and yep. yeah, every, everything I own doesn't have enough leg room. And so with this Chev, it's, I mean, there's two reasons. I cut my firewall right out because, firstly, I'm trying to fit a six BT in, which doesn't fit, and then secondly, <laughs> I I want to custom build my firewall so my pedal box is where I actually want it, not where someone in a factory in japan designed it you know so yeah it's it's definitely nice to be able to customize and, and play around with all that stuff yeah for sure for sure it's just it's cost though too isn't it like i was looking at those willwood you can buy complete pedal assemblies but they're not cheap and being able to use utilize as many factory components as you can like you can pick up a pedal box for a ve for like 150 dollars or a brake pedal assembly or whatever so i don't i don't want to sound like a tight ass but you know, you, you can create more problems if you go down another avenue than what, if you can do a bit of fabricating work, you might save yourself a lot in the end, I guess. Yeah. But I'm keen to see how your truck turns out. So am I. I wish someone would hurry up and finish it for me. <laughs> What's stopping you, mate? Let's talk. It's always interview on me. What about you, mate? What are you up to? Why have you not finished it yet? Let's talk. Yeah. Well, okay, I'll, I'll give you the reason. Because I decided to start a podcast and I spend five hours a week editing and recording and i've got 40 episodes which is 200 hours of work that i haven't done on my truck that's <laughs> half my problem <laughs> maybe i should maybe i should send you send me some parts and i'll weld them up for you or something so i don't feel bad <laughs> uh, yeah. no it's funny I was, I was chatting to a few mates the other day about it and and they were like oh you know what have you done in your truck i'm like oh blah 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 and you know like i i, I bit off more than i could chew i think when i i decided to do this weekly and i I haven't put one out every week, but I've been pretty consistent and sometimes it's hard and, you know, like, you know, we organize tonight to do it at eight o'clock and, and often you'll get someone and like at, at 6 PM, they'll message you and go, Oh, something's come up and I can't do it. And, you know, and that kind of screws me for the week and it's hard to get an episode out. And so I, I haven't done it every week, but yeah, it's been pretty consistent. I don't know it's, I, I love it because it's motivating as well. You know, like it's pretty easy to have your truck sit there and, you're not motivated to do a bit of work on it. And, and some jobs are shit. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of widening my guards because I'm running Julie rear end. So I've, I've got to put 185 mil 
extra width in my guards. And that is just a shit ton of welding and grinding, and it's not that much fun. Not that much grinding either. And I'm not, no, and I just can't get motivated. I'm halfway through it, and I'm like, uh. And so I was like, what else? You know, and I thought, so today, like I was saying to you, I pulled the, pulled the truck apart again. I pulled the engine out and pulled the cab off and, and put a new floor in, and just another job that needs done. And it's like, and I, I think that's a good thing if you're working on your build and something you're getting jammed up on something and it's frustrating you, just leave it alone. Like your truck's not going to be on the road for another two years. That thing can be done later. <laughs> Move over and do something else that you're motivated to do. And that's what I've done today. So it's been cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I had issues with, um, so I, I got the new cab and I was like, yeah, sweet. I'm going to put these new doors on that came with it. And I couldn't for the life of me get the door locks working the way that they should like it wouldn't click nice and i was stuffing around with it and stuffing around with it and i just sort of got the shits with it and i'm like you know what i'm going to put the commodore door locks and door handles and catches from from the donor car into it because it's, it's sort of like cracked the shits at it and then that sort of opened up another can of worms and like 40 hours later i've got two doors opening and closing suite with commodore door locks and door handles but yeah it's funny how the build sort of tends to progress from what you first start off with. Yeah, always, always does. So given that you've got different cab, different bed, and obviously the old blue front end, I'm guessing that we're going with a paint job on this truck. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting because people have, I've, you know, I'm a chatterbox and I've told people at work about, you know, what I'm up to or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, so how much have you got left of your original car that you'd bought? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much just two-thirds of my chassis rails and a front windscreen, I think, by now. <laughs> There's not much left. But, yeah, so um, because I've been able to do this because my wife has created the time for me to do it, um, I'm letting her pick the colour. So we were chatting today and previously I've painted a couple of cars and I've always done them just like straight white tinter, just straight out of the gun, just 050 I think the paint code was. And it's just really clean, crisp with like no badges, dark windows. And uh, the Beamer that I had was, that, you know, the Monaros, the, the, the VT Monaros I think it was. It came out with like a devil yellow I think the colour was called. That's been the only sort of colour I've done outside of white. And so I gave the missus the choice this time and she really wants um, like a dark charcoal, like satin finish, like a matte finish at this stage. But the car won't be finished for a little bit, but we'll see what the um, see what's trending at the time that we're ready to put some colour on it. No, that'd be cool. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen some, some nice sort of matte grey builds there. It's funny because like you go through, you look back at the old sort of 90s, colors that they would build in these trucks and it's almost like the sex spec stuff we had here where it was just those wild colors with all the graphics and shit like that and yeah it's and then it's gone you know everyone's gone went matte black with red rims and white walls and that whole era of well i don't know if you call it a cheap cheap paint job but it's something that's probably hides things pretty well but yeah for sure for sure but you're a panel builder, so you have to do a nice paint job. Yeah, I know. I can't paint for shit, but I could panel beat it or not too bad. Of um, yeah, I don't know. I think you're right. That you know, there's not many cars getting around that are being finished now. That from from what I've seen, anyway, that have a lot of chrome. For instance, they seem to be your bumper bars are like sort of 
for the most part seem to be you know like a dark gray or color coded or or black and they're like tucked right into the car and people have gone away from big chrome wheels to sort of like a darker color with dish and big brakes and stuff maybe that's just what i'm looking up on the internet more and that's the reason why i keep seeing them but yeah i think people's tastes tend to change i saw one the other day on instagram that was like a um it was like a flat red and i was like yeah that looks pretty sexy i could do that color something something completely different yeah there's a, a literally a million options out there isn't there what color are you going to do yours Oh, it's already painted. It got painted in 1950. <laughs> Keeping the patina. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the history of the truck, so you know that's. I'm a big fan of it, and I'm also not someone that is very good at respecting vehicles. And you know, I I use it. It's going to be a work truck. It's going to get scratched and dented. So for me, it's just going to keep adding to the character. You know the. Obviously, the Aussie trucks didn't have the, you know, the tub beds and all that sort of stuff. So I'm building all that. And at this stage, I think it's, it's just going to be left bare metal and let it rust up and it'll all match in. I might, I might, add, I'll, I'll see how it goes. We might end up cleaning it up and trying to do a matching patina um, to the cab, but I don't think so. I, I think it's just going to be whatever it is. I'm going to probably leave all my um my welds and and stuff leave the scars and just let it rust up and you know it's it's going to be obvious to anyone that knows anything about these trucks that it's not the way it was originally so i don't see a point in hiding it it's just this is what it is and um yeah i'm i'm happy to park it in a supermarket car park and someone can dent it with a trolley and i don't care yeah that's 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 the thing hey you invest so much time and and an effort into building something. I know for me, my concern is like, imagine getting all this finished and pumping in like a thousand hours worth of work and, you know, 30, 40 odd grand or whatever, and then wrapping the thing around a tree because you were being a dick. <laughs> like, that'd just be soul destroying. But there's definitely advantages. And patina truck, Nick, man, like, I think that if mine had a patina worth keeping and it wasn't painted in some backyard of Mexico somewhere, um, I probably, probably would have been more inclined to keep it. But, yeah, no, I didn't have that luxury, mate. I, I owed my your truck for that. That's Schmick. Yeah, and it's funny because like I'm sure a lot of the listeners of the podcast are are anti patina, and I'm I'm fine with that. And I'm I'm not anti paint, and I I probably come across quite often sounding like I am. But you know, if I if I had the right vehicle and it was super clean, and you know, everything was good on it. I'd probably paint it, but most of the shit that I buy is pretty beat up. So <laughs> by the time I spend it, by the time I try and fix it and make it all straight and, you know, I, I tried that once. I had a split screen combi and I, I was, the idea was that that was going to be painted and, and they're the worst vehicle because they were never straight to start with from the factory and, you know, guys trying to make those things, the longest panels on any vehicle on the road, they're just horrible. I but, can honestly um, say yeah, I, I, what, oh, sorry, I cut you off then, mate. But I can honestly say I 100% know exactly what you mean. We had a combi in, and I swear to Christ, I would never restore a combi again. The panels are huge, and they don't line up, and they curve from one panel to the next, and, and there's no shape, so you've got nothing to work with. I ended up getting an applicator that was like, you know, because you file up the big dents, and with an applicator, it was like 400 mil wide, just to put, like, you're not lathering it in bog, but you've got to skim it because... There's a repair here, repair there, and then that's they sort of join together. So you end up skimming the whole side and you're just sanding for ages. It's just like, yeah, I feel for you there, bro. Because, <laughs> yeah, combis are, it's like restoring like 
like three cars. Mm, yeah. Well, I never finished it, and uh, <laughs> I really feel sorry for the guy that bought it off me because that's how I learned to weld, and I'm sure they were they were horrible welds. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Hopefully. Hopefully he finished it. I got to look him up one day. Hopefully it's on the road. Well, they were. Oh, that's really cool. Zombies. So, oh, they are. I I just sold. So I had a split screen single cab Ute that I pulled out of a paddock uh, two years ago, and the cab was really good, but the back end of it had been just cut up. The guy had pulled everything out of it to make a buggy and made a trailer or something. I don't know, but I. I sold that for um, substantially a lot more money than what I paid for it. They're uh, they're hard to find these days, and um, yeah, I mean, I love them, but same same issue. Like I, I had this thing sitting here, and it was it even had sign writing on it. It had it had the five digit phone number on the doors. Like it was a really really nice Ute, and and it broke my heart to sell it. But I I sat there one day and I was like, I'm six foot four. I do not fit in a single cab combi. Like. <laughs> It's, just, it's not going to happen. So. <laughs> they're not the most comfortable things. So to sorry. I get it. Like they're a cool truck. Like they're they're a cool rig, but they're not really like your big, you know, your cruiser or anything. You know, like oh, I don't know. They're not. They're not. They're not for me. I mean, I admire them when I see them. Like I, I can't ride motorbikes to, to for shit to be honest. But um, and and if I was to ride one, I really like the way the sports bike looks. You know, for instance. But then you see a Harley. And you're like, wow, I wouldn't have that bike, but man, the amount of work that is in that and how detailed and, and like you can appreciate the amount of effort that goes into to making something like that. It looks, they look schmick, you know, the, what people put into, put people in, yeah, into things. Mm, no, absolutely. So if, if you were, if I ask you this question, what as a percentage out of zero to a hundred percent and a hundred percent is that it's finished and registered and engineered and driving down the road. Whereabouts do you reckon you are in your build? Probably thirty percent, maybe. Yeah, I would say I'm getting pretty excited to have a lot of the structural stuff done, like the big, scarier stuff, if you like. Um, having having that sort of box ticked is a big one. It's sort of like the first twenty five percent of it. If you don't get that right, well, you're screwed. You know, so I feel pretty happy to have that stuff all pretty much done. Um, when I took it down to uh, Drive Industries down in Summersby, I wanted to get my wheel alignment checked um, so I could put in the bar work that retained my strut tops. Um, it's pretty bit hard to describe without seeing the photos, but I'm running like seamless pipe from the factory chassis rail up to the strut tops. And when I got it wheel aligned and everything, and it came up schmick, like the back end was 0 0.01 of a degree out of perfectly perpendicular from north south line through the car so i was like pumped at that and and having that stage completed and knowing that when i'm finished at 100 percent down the track and i am cruising down the cruising down the street the thing's not going to be crab walking so i feel like as it stands now like for me a big chunk of that sort of work is sort of sat in the back of my mind now i feel a lot better going into it um my job uh i go so I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So I'm a weekend warrior. So that's really good for the kitty. But, um, yeah, it sort of does take time away from my family because my kids obviously being six and eight, they sort of go to school. So I've sort of got to balance everything. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, 
I, I try and spend a lot of time with my wife. We pull the kids out of school every now and then. Um, and then in between all that, I try and build the truck. I, unfortunately, I get up in the morning during those weekdays, we smash out a breakfast or whatever, and I take the kids to school with the missus and we go grab a coffee and come back and I might smash out like a cheeky 10 hours or whatever. And I can, I do have that luxury of of being able to do some big days. Like I can, I can bang out a pretty big lot of work in a full day. Um, so I can, I can achieve a fair bit pretty quickly. I would say I've achieved a fair bit on this build in the amount of time that I've had, considering that we're renovating a house at the same time. So we've been renovating all upstairs and getting it all done. So yeah, hopefully by the end of next year, um, I'll have the thing running and I'll be able to cruise, cruise, like at least drive around, maybe not engineered and painted and stuff, but at least running and brake systems done, fuel systems done, exhaust and all that sort of stuff. That's my plan, yeah. Mm. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, we we do a build a catch up, so we and we got one coming up hopefully next week. So I I touch base with the guys that we've interviewed in the past that are still in the build, like you are and like I am, and and we just sort of touch base and just spend five ten minutes and just talk about what they've done in the time, and it's a good way to keep a bit of motivation going and and just the for people to get an understanding of how long these builds take. I mean, too many people watch these TV shows and they flip these things over in a week and it's just... <laughs> it's the, funny. Uh, to the average guy, you know, you're looking at, I reckon, two years is a, is a pretty good timeline to think about, if not longer. So I've definitely had my truck longer than two years. And, you know, if, if I put all those hours together and said, you know, if I was doing eight hours a day in a workshop, then I've probably only done two months work but when you when like you are you're juggling a family you're juggling a job and a life and everything else it takes quite a long time so we'll touch base with you again definitely in uh in the near future and make sure you're not slacking and that you're doing a bit of work <laughs> no, and uh yeah i am um, i've been hooking in mate I, I find i'm driving to and from work and i've got the radio switched off because in my head it's just grinding through what the next section of the build is so when it comes to it i can hit the ground running and i tend to tend to get it done pretty quick yeah so we'll see we'll see how the build progresses man to be honest no that's awesome awesome scott all right so if people want to check out your your build um they can follow you instagram is the best thing yeah instagram for sure operation c-bomb i was pretty chuckled with myself when i came up with that name to be honest i thought that was pretty clever <laughs> but yeah operation c-bomb <laughs> and um yeah you can watch look at the build there and feel free to comment and share the love or the hate whatever you want to do i'm open for it it's all g um yeah so i try and put photos up i mean I'm sure people won't find all of them interesting but the original reason i created an instagram account was because uh a mate of mine the dave that's building that e30 ls2 he's like man you just create an instagram account and it's got all your photos stored so if you lose your phone or whatever you've got the build or if you're trying to explain to people what you're doing holy shit just found a big spider on the wall can you see that right there i'm gonna go and show you the spider on the wall because that's pretty exciting can you see? Yeah. <laughs> Big huntsman. Yeah. I'm just going to probably try and not get bitten by that tonight. Um, yeah. And so then I created, <laughs> created, created the Insta. Yeah, this is my bedroom room now. Um, create my Instagram account and then it's got all the photos on there. So there's probably a lot of unnecessary stuff people not, might not find interesting. But yeah, I just keep putting it up for that reason. So. Yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's kind of taken the place of the old forums. Like I know when I was doing the combi, I was on this a couple of combi forums and you'd spend all day working on your car and you take photos and you'd have to download them into 
um, some app that photo bucket that would hold the photos and then you had to copy the links and post them into the forums and then you'd you'd type in what you were doing and it was such a, a pain in the ass to do it and and now I go back to some of those forums and try and look at stuff and and guys photo bucket accounts have been deleted and so there's no photos in there and the history of it's gone and so yeah I, I really love Instagram just being able to follow all these different guys and you know and, and I'll I'll do what I do with you you know I come across your Instagram and I'll sit there and I'll there's half an hour's gone because I've just scrolled through every photo that you've posted and you know I start at the start when you get the truck and I I really follow the build and I think it's really interesting and I get super frustrated with guys that don't write anything you know guys that just post a photo and that's all it is it's like tell me what you're doing like give me a bit of a a lowdown which you do a good job of so yeah I'm appreciative of that no thanks for the feedback Mm. um you sort of interesting I'm glad that you've said that because on the other hand I sort of feel like a wanker because I'm like you know, like, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that or whatever. And it's a, it feels a bit like self-centered, you know, you're trying to share something too much. But but then hearing that feedback, it sort of makes it all worth it because, you know, people people like yourself and others are interested and, and that's really cool. And I know for me, um, I've followed other people's builds and seen what they're up to and I'm like, yeah, that's really schmick, man. Keep up the good work. And it's always good to give people feedback and, and see what they're up to. And, and how they're going about the job. Some of the work out there that people do is so super impressive and there's some artists out there and it's really cool to see what people can create and, you know, especially considering we're all trying to run families and, and do our own things and, and, and they are, it's a hobby and we're pretty lucky to have the opportunity to, to pursue these hobbies and, yeah, it's good to share it for sure. Yeah, and, and the fact that you can have a bunch of guys that you don't know and you'll probably never meet in your life but they can be motivating to you because they, you know, oh, awesome work, keep it up, you know, great job or, you know, oh, why don't, why don't you think about doing this instead and you get a little tip and you look into that and, you know, it's I think it's a great community and, you know, I I, I tried really hard not to join Instagram for a long time because, I mean, I'm old enough to have had a MySpace account and then I went to <laughs> Facebook and then, <laughs> and then Twitter came along and I'm like, nah, fuck that, I'm not doing Twitter for and sure. then Instagram came and, my wife was on Instagram for a few years longer than me and she finally dragged me in there and yeah, and I love it. You know, like originally I was more, I would do the stuff I do on Instagram. Now I used to do on Pinterest, you know, yep. like I'd look at people's builds and all that sort of stuff, but you, you really can't follow people like you do on Instagram. So it sucks that Facebook have bought it because now it's just becoming Facebook and that's another whole story, the shit that annoys me, but um, it's, it's, it's still it a good still, thing. So, yeah, no, it's still awesome. a great forum for sure. Like it, it's it's the best. And and, and even um, the guy that you had on uh, Matt last week, uh, I've seen his build a couple of times and I'm like, I've really got to look at that truck more and I would never have seen it if it wasn't for, for Instagram and, and, and it's it's cool. Yeah, it's a really good forum for that, for sure. And it's easy, like you said, compared to those old JPEGs and stuff. I mean, you can smack out a post, put it up, you know, while you're cooking up a lasagna if you wanted no absolutely all right mate well we've had a good chat um definitely appreciate you taking the time and, and coming and having a chat and you know and you, you're doing something a bit left to center and I, I think it's really cool and the the long-term final product for you is you're on a road trip somewhere and you're in whatever random town you happen to be in and you something goes wrong your wheel bearings are fucked or you break your brakes or whatever you can just go to any repco or any auto barn or any super cheap auto and they're gonna have the parts you need you, you know you're not going to be going to some specialist chevy joint to get some suspension parts because everything you've got 
is at the local wreckers, you know. I, I think it's a great idea. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's perfect. Like, even if I had hypothetically went and in, smacked down 10 grand on getting some aftermarket front end made or whatever, you know, it, it seems like compared to a mass production front end or something that's set up and, and you know, Holden, when they built the V, they got like government grants and things to design a car that was going to handle pretty well. And so you sort of like aftermarket stuff yeah it's going to be good but is it as good as mass production stuff is it as cheap and is it as easy to replace i, I don't know i think for me it was a no-brainer but you've got to be prepared to put in i think i'm at like nearly 400 hours of work to be honest so it's it's doing fro but yeah man that's the plan is to have it easy to easy to work on easy to drive and and something totally different that people look at and go oh, you know that's that's schmick man well done that's cool yeah i mean if you think about the first guy that put a Jag front and rear end into another vehicle, you know, like he would have been, everyone would have been like, holy crap, you're doing something crazy. And, and it, it would have taken him a lot longer to do it and work it all out. And and now it's just a go-to hot rodder thing. You chuck a Jag in it or you do a L300 or, you know, all these things that someone was the first guy to do it or, you know, a handful of guys have done it and they've worked it out. And, you know, in a way you're doing that right now, you're, you're working out how can I put this Commodore gear in? Because the reality is, you know, you can go and for less than 10 grand, you can buy a running driving LS powered Commodore with everything you need. And mm. I know, you know, I think it's a, it's a cool way to do it. They make, they make good horsepower and they do everything that you want to do. And, you know, you're talking about the first guy that did anything. We all drink milk, but I'm pretty sure people looked at old mate drinking milk the first time from a cow like he was a weirdo. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, mate. Hey, appreciate your time and uh definitely we'll catch up with you in the future. But uh good luck with your build and we look forward to seeing you on the road. Yeah, thanks, Heath Michael. Cheers, man. I really appreciate it. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day Even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.